welcome back to the Rufus Project, your guide to tech news, games, movies, local entertainment, and pretty much anything else we think is a good idea at the time. My name is Trevor Holland, I'm your host. Uh, I am joined by co-contributor Christian Fletcher, who you will be hearing from a little bit later in the uh, in the podcast. And we have a great lineup of stuff for you this time around. We have a number of uh, rather interesting movie reviews this time around, including the new Need for Speed movie. I also take a bit of an in-depth look at the South Park game that has just come out and try out a new feature. So yes, if you're listening to this, you're my guinea pigs. The local wildlife section is a bit more rounded out this time and a bit more like what we intend it to be going further with future podcasts. So for all your news, reviews and a rundown of what you can do, Keep listening. There may even be a few surprises tucked away. Enjoy the show. Okay, so last time the tech news was way too serious. I mean, honestly, I I do realise now that being that serious about it did not fit in with the rest of the show. So I've decided that in the techie section, we're going to take a more light-hearted look at things. A look at some of the more interesting things that have come our way since the last episode, and, uh, well, still be assured that if I think something is worth a big rant and is particularly important to talk about, then I will discuss in length as according. But, uh, but this week is definitely all about the fun. First up, if you're one of these people like me who listens to MP3s, but you think it'd be great to have some of this music on LP, Yep, I do love my records, just need a decent record player. Then we have an answer for you. A German engineer by the name of Asari Automaten, which means machines in German, which is interesting, has designed what he claims is the first device that can translate digital audio files and turn them into a vinyl LP record for you. This isn't the first machine that can do this, However, it is the first machine that apparently does it in real time. Personally, I'd love to get my hands on one of these babies, but at $4,000, I think I may just have to wait for the price to drop a bit. The Sydney Morning Herald ran an article about how Australians are actually becoming bigger consumers of digital entertainment, so streaming services. It's amazing how this is improving as the services slowly improve. It seemed like a very positive article until they turned around and said that illegal downloading has been a major cause of the decline in profits in movies. As a quick aside, you know, not every movie is a success. And frankly, the Hollywood studios have been making increasing profits and performing better year after year after year. They have their fair share of movies that don't make money, But this is hardly the cause of illegal downloading. Before the internet and downloading really came to the forefront, you know, movies still lost money. And the studios made up for that loss of money on the less popular movies from the huge amount of profits they raked from their big blockbusters. This cycle's been going on for decades. And to turn around and say that illegal downloading is suddenly the reason that a movie doesn't make money... Well, let's just think about that for a second. (laughs) Good job, Sydney Morning Herald. You had a great start, but you really did fail in the execution. 
Meanwhile, over in the UK at the Big Bang Fair in Birmingham, interesting title, two very clever individuals built a robot out of Lego. Now, it wasn't just any robot. This is the robot that broke the world record in solving a Rubik's Cube. It took 3.253 seconds to do a Rubik's Cube. Now, to do a bit of a comparison, the previous record was actually held by their previous robot, which managed to do it in 5.27 seconds, and the world record held by humans is 5.55 seconds. So, I would like to be the first to say, as a podcaster, I can be of great service to our new LEGO robot overlords by passing on propaganda and the information that they want us to hear. And finally, we have a Clever Geek of the Week. The Clever Geek of the Week is a very prestigious award that goes out to someone who should know better, who makes a god-awfully bad decision. This episode's Clever Geek of the Week goes out to Product Marketing Manager of Facebook, Susan Buckner, who has a dubious honour of being the spokesperson for Facebook's announcement to introduce premium video ads that autoplay in your Facebook feed. Well, I'm pretty sure that Adblock's going to put a quick stop to those, but frankly, autoplaying videos are really the one of the banes of the internet, and for Facebook to decide to introduce them into everyone's newsfeed, well, that really is just a terrible, terrible decision. So to the Facebook engineers behind this great decision, and to Susan Buckner, who again had the misfortune to be the one that had to actually announce and justify this to the world, I hereby award you with this week's Clever Geek of the Week award. If there's one thing I really love, it's cheap games. So I thought I'd share a few tips, a few sites, a few ways you can get some games for cheaper. It can be a very expensive hobby, especially in Australia, thanks to the good old Australia tax. But don't worry, with the internet and all sorts of wonderful things, you can certainly save a lot of money on a lot of games. The first place you can look is the Humble Bundle, humblebundle.com. They have monthly Humble Bundles where a number of games will be available and usually if you beat the average you can get bonus games as well. They also tend to add extra games as time goes on and uh, they do vary a bit. They used to be the Humble Indie Bundle. They did drop that when major publishers decided to get in on the bandwagon and offer packages involving some of their top titles. A great thing about the Humble Bundle is I also try to offer as much as I can free of digital rights management doesn't always work and many of the major titles are only redeemable through Steam and if you want Steam keys you do need to pay a minimum of one dollar. They also have weekly sales usually following a theme and again uh, these are probably more based if you pay less than six dollars you'll get usually four games. Pay more than six dollars that'll go up to six or seven games Uh, and there are some very good titles in amongst there. They also have their own store, which offers good deals on a daily basis, and they do, again, try to do as much as possible DRM-free. The big bonus of the Humble Bundle is that it is very much charity-based. For example, for their store, 10% of all sales go to charity, 
and uh, with the actual bundles themselves you can decide how much goes to charity how much goes to the developers and how much goes to the humble bundle guys themselves in a similar vein is another site groupies this can vary they do have game bundles but they also include ebooks music and comics as other options available they run it as a campaign there is a bit of variation here with regards to how they manage it sometimes it's just a matter of you keep clicking and they'll have a recommended price as to what you should pay and a minimum or you can just choose what you want to pay for the entire lot also worth checking out is dailyindiegame.com which is pretty much what it says uh, a game will be offered for a minimum of 99 cents this is all US dollars by the way and you can pay what you want the twist on this one is you can nominate to get a free copy in which case you'll be put on a list and you only get a free copy if somebody buys the game and you're first on the list when they do so I had a look earlier today for today's deal and noticed there was something like 75 people waiting in the queue so I hope the people at the end of that are pretty patient but then again you don't know no sense why would you not pay that but I don't want indie games I hear you say well if you're feeling a bit nostalgic we have good old games gog.com who have an impressive catalogue of games including many older titles they also offer more recent titles again we're looking at the indie indie game genre um, but still you know they are fantastic prices and fantastic games all completely free of digital rights management as well other things you can do is keep an eye on the steam daily deals um, as well as the weekend and midweek deals for some pretty major savings and let's not forget the steam sales which are my wallet cries every time one of those launches but i don't play pc games i hear you cry if you're a playstation owner you have a number of options available for you to save a few dollars first up and you may bulk at this but consider playstation plus now in australia it is seventy dollars per year but you can with a little bit of uh, magic internet pokery get yourself a us playstation plus subscription which is only fifty dollars us content is pretty similar between the two but obviously you know twenty dollars a year that's that's a decent saving the difficulty of having the US, of course, is funding it, in which case Amazon is your friend as they do sell US PlayStation Network codes, which will allow you to add credit to your PlayStation Plus account. The reason this is so good is they give you lots of games, lots of games, including recent titles. I mean, this year alone, I have grabbed Bioshock Infinite, one of the biggest games of last year, and in the next couple of weeks, I will be getting the new Tomb Raider game as well, all as part of my subscription. If you have more than one PlayStation device, then you're covered there since they include PS Vita games and PS4 games as well. If you don't mind a few big downloads for your PlayStation, you can also browse Amazon for PSN network codes for some pretty big games. Assassin's Creed 4, for example, can currently be bought for about $30 US, which is a considerable saving when you look at the shelf price of that here in Australia. To be able to purchase this through Amazon, it does involve a bit more internet pokery, but tell you what, there's plenty of guys 
Yes, Google buying US only from Australia from Amazon or something similar and trust me there will be about a billion guides that you can follow and it is definitely worth it and it does save you money. Unfortunately my research has come up a bit shy with the other consoles. When it comes to the Microsoft consoles they seem to have their content pretty well locked up. If you do subscribe to Xbox Live Gold you do get games with gold but they do seem to be mainly older titles so sorry guys but uh, if you do know of something to get cheaper xbox live game codes or even you know wii u or any other console please let me know in the comments or by the usual methods but i will give you a reminder of those at the end of the show hopefully we can save you a bit of money here and uh, enjoy your gaming Just a quick word of warning before we start the next review. The trailer that I pulled excerpts of dialogue from contains quite a few rude words. They can't be avoided. So if rude words offend you, then I'd suggest skipping the next review. Oh, who's your new friend, Eric? Shut up, Mum. Not now. South Park The Stick of Truth is their latest attempt by the creators to bring South Park to the gaming medium. It hasn't been too successful so far with games like South Park Rally and and previous uh, South Park Adventure games not doing all that well and frankly not being all that good. So how does a stick of truth compare to these not fantastic predecessors? In short, pretty well. The game itself sees you playing as the new kid. That's your name. That's your character. And it doesn't take long for you to get right into the South Park feel. Very early in the piece, he encounters Butters, who guides him through to Eric Cartman. And as when you encounter Cartman, you really get a feel for what this game is going to be like. There is a fantastic scene where the normal uh, staple of naming your character is done in true South Park style. What follows is a anarchic, chaotic, an absolutely insane role-playing game experience. It's an RPG. The town's children have been divided into two main factions. You have the humans, led by Cartman, playing the Grand Wizard, who are battling the elves, led by none other than Kyle. Tonight, we fight as one! Fuck that! We do not team up with fucking elves! Only good elf is a dead elf. Why don't you suck my elven dick, Butters? And they are battling over the stick of truth. It's a stick. Seriously, it's just a stick. But surprisingly, there are quite a number of good jokes about a stick. If you've even watched one episode of South Park, there are plenty of familiar faces. All the main characters make reappearances, and there are many recurring gags and recurring appearances. Okay, straight up, if you're not a fan of South Park, if you don't like South Park, it's pretty obvious you're not going to enjoy this game. I myself am a bit of a lapsed South Park fan, I got over it quite some time ago, but I find that playing this game and revisiting these characters, especially in this interactive environment, has been a very entertaining experience. Not all the gags hit the mark, but there's plenty of funny moments, and, well... Uh, let's just say there's more than a few offensive moments as well. You must get past them, new kid. Go fuck them up. 
if you were to take away the South Park flavour, at its core what you do have is an above average role playing game. You still have to traipse your way across town to different locations, but there is quite a good fast travel system that activates once you uh, once you explore a bit, which makes travelling around a lot less arduous. Along the way you recruit friends, and this is all done via the in-game Facebook, some of which can be of a great help to you, others are quest givers, while other ones just seem to be there to purely annoy you. Looks like we got a fight on our hands. The combat itself is your traditional RPG turn-based, and why it is turn-based is explained in yet another very entertaining scene involving Cartman, but thankfully it's more than just selecting a move and watching things happen. There is an element of timing in that most attacks require you to press buttons at particular times, and even defending also requires action by the player. And it's not just button mashing, you do have to time your responses appropriately to get the best results. This really helps make the combat fun, and in a game like this, which is a combat role-playing game, it certainly is a big advantage, and it would suffer without it. You can choose between four different classes when you start up the game, and they are Fighter, Sorcerer, Thief, and Jew. Yep, Jew. The character classes follow pretty typical archetypes for a role-playing game. Uh, the Jew itself, though, is a bit more of a uh, a crossover between, say, a paladin and monk, if you if you do play your more traditional role-playing games. And uh, is actually a character that can absorb damage to become more powerful and increase its abilities. No matter which character you play, you'll soon find out that there are particular abilities or moves that are very, very overpowered. You can really make short work of most enemies, only with particular boss fights providing much of a challenge. This is almost balanced out by the fact that if you mess up your defense moves, you cop one heck of a beating, but it is really a matter of the moment to take a health potion or, or use another character's healing move to keep you in the game and keep you battling. Before I wrap this up, I probably should mention the censorship aspect. Now, I was fortunate enough to get my hands on an uncensored copy of the game, but if you have an Australian copy, the offending scenes are covered up by the image of a crying koala, whilst text down the bottom describes in extreme detail exactly what is going on. Now, I did look this up on YouTube, and I will certainly share this clip on, on the YouTube channel. And the Crying Koala is quite disturbing. Whether or not these scenes were indeed necessary is open for debate. I certainly didn't find them particularly funny. And, and yeah, I mean, they were offensive. But this is South Park. If you think for even a second that South Park should not be offensive, then you shouldn't be playing this game in the first place. So to wrap this up, South Park, The Stick of Truth, is an above-average role-playing game at heart. How much enjoyment you really end up getting from the game really depends on how much you like South Park. The sheer morbid fascination of pushing through just to see what the hell will happen next is pretty much the driving force behind the game. So if you're a South Park fan, even the slightest bit of a South Park fan, and you are looking for a enjoyable 
entertaining and occasionally shocking game to uh, to while away about 12, 13 hours, then you could do worse than South Park The Stick of Truth. If you can't stand South Park and what it stands for and any of the gags, then you should avoid this like you would avoid, say, anal probing aliens. Let's be the clad! Welcome to a new segment of the Rufus Project, which is focusing on bad movies. Now, I even feel bad even saying the word bad about a movie. It's usually they, you know, banter around the, the term, I'm so bad, it's good, and um, oh my god, and hilariously inept. But um, we've got to think with a lot of films too, they're going off what, they're, what they were dealing with technically and what they had to work with. And a lot of times too, these are probably the films that have the most innocence about them because there was really people that weren't using... or. There were filmmakers relying on not special effects, but whatever things they had available at their disposal, which um, can result in some very interesting films. Um, the next one I'll be looking at is a movie I'll actually be screening next week, so we can talk about it here today, and then you'll be able to witness it firsthand. Now, in 1976, in the wake of the King Kong remake, which featured Jessica Lange and um, directed by Dino De Rolentis, who did um, Barbarella, um, there was quite a few King Kong type remakes. This film, Ape, from 1976, was actually released as King Kong Lives. However, Universal, who owns King Kong and all its ensuing um, property, threatened to sue. Now, it's more like a man in a gorilla suit running around a miniature Korea. Now, this um, American-South Korean co-production was pretty much um, made to... Uh, it was pretty much a quickie production made to capitalise on the upcoming release of the Dino De Rolentis, uh remake. Originally made for $23,000, and it pretty much looks like it. It's also known as Attack of the Giant Horny Gorilla, and I'm not kidding. Originally shot in 3D, and aside from a shot where an arrow is launched towards the screen, I can't see any reason for the fact that this was released in 3D, otherwise to capitalise on a gimmick that at that time was was sorely out of date. Now, the Relentis movie that it was based on bombed. Now, Ape did worse. The lead actress... Probably the only name star is um, Joanna Kearns, who went on to play Maggie, the mother in Growing Pains, the 80s sitcom. That's probably the only person that would be recognised. Ape's a very enjoyable um, move into bad movie territory, and um, I definitely recommend it if you're a fan of, you know, so bad it's good, dare I say it. This has its tongue planted very firmly in cheek. Even at one stage, the gorilla does the finger to the screen, almost showing, hey, we know this is a joke. We know this is a parody movie. So if you want to experience this gorilla of a movie, come along to Kelvin Grove Urban Village at a venue called Room 60, where you can enjoy the film on Wednesday night with drink in hand, and it's probably recommended. Um, 6.30pm we screen, and for more details, visit www.christianfletcher.com. I spent two years thinking about one moment. He set me up. In our world, you always go back. Need for Speed is pretty much the first in a brand new breed of movies. I guess being tired of seeing other people take video games and turn them into, let's face it, largely lacklustre or just plain bad movies, 
The games companies have decided to instead take the mantle themselves and get involved directly in filmmaking. Now there are a few coming up, Assassin's Creed is meant to be in the works, as well as an adaptation of The Last of Us, all with game creators firmly and thoroughly involved. So are we off to a good start with Need for Speed? Well, I'll get to that in a minute. We have main character, Toby Marshall, played by Aaron Paul, best known for his role as Jesse in the Breaking Bad TV series, who plays apparently the best mechanic in the country. What's all this behind the wheel? However, he is finding it hard to make ends meet. Uh, not that many people seem to want these specialty services of his, which is essentially tuning up illegal race cars. Enter a rival with bad guy sign practically written across his forehead, Dino, played by Dominic Cooper, who offers Toby a lifeline by offering him a very, very generous fee to work on a rare Ford Mustang. To make a long story short, Mustang is one of the fastest cars ever made, apparently. Enter Julia Madden, a British, very refined lady, played by Imogen Poots, who surprises everyone by knowing all about cars. That's basically the entire gag of her character, uh, and then she's pretty much just a tag-along for most of the movie as the he's going to snog her at some point character. Long story short, Toby and Dino end up in a race which also involves another character named Little Pete, who is the brother of Toby's ex-girlfriend and is virtual little brother to Toby himself. Race goes wrong, Little Pete dies in Ball of Fire caused by Dino shunting him off the road. Now this race is interesting in that it causes a lot of damage Several innocent bystanders get run off the road, quite possibly causing fatalities. And being as I said in modern time, there would be cameras everywhere recording these three very, very fast cars causing absolute havoc. However, when Dino drives off, leaving Toby at the scene to be obviously encountered by the police, they don't believe Toby that there was a third car involved. He just left him there. That's what I can't forgive. I'm not too sure how all those witnesses miss the uh, the red one, the flashiest one, during the race and the mayhem. Cut to about five years later, Toby is out on parole and decides that he's going to get the Mustang, drive across country, get the attention of a character called Monarch, played by Michael Keaton. Racing is an art, but racing with passion, that's high art who organises the most exclusive illegal street race in America. Not too sure what Monarch's story is, it's never fully explained. However, to get there, he needs to get across America within 45 hours, avoiding police, avoiding people trying to stop him after Dino puts a bounty on him to prevent him getting to California from New York. I'm willing to give $6 million to anyone who puts a stop to him. While also having to deal with Julia, who decides she's coming along for the ride because she knows the guy who owns the car. So, is this movie any good? No. No, it's not. It is ridiculous and over the top, and I think even the most ardent Fast and Furious fan will probably just go, that's a bit silly, with some of the car antics going on. I guess the first big disappointment is Aaron Paul himself. 
He has certainly proved that he can act. The character of Jesse in Breaking Bad was a very complex character who seemed very simple on top, but showed a lot of depth. And he carried that really well. And considering that was over five seasons of an absolutely fantastic show, it's a bit disappointing to see this one-dimensional character he's playing here. The main characters really are all cardboard cutouts. They're one-joke ponies. Dominic Cooper as Dino is, I'm a greasy bad guy who will do anything to get what he wants. And Julia, Imogen Poots, is, look at me, I'm a British girl who knows all about cars and the main character's going to fall in love with me. Okay, that's, that's all you need to know about their characters. The only characters that provide any real enjoyment in this movie is the supporting cast of Toby's cronies. Yo, T, I'm really happy you're home. Boys, we miss you, brother. It's time to celebrate. Call up some females. Do you know any pretty ones? You like your mama? Probably because in their roles, they actually get to have fun. They get to joke around. They get to do all the gags. The Essentially... Toby himself is the straight man, and he's a straight man who doesn't know he's in a comedy. Michael Keaton is something else entirely. Monarch essentially sits behind a desk and makes wise cracks about how wonderful racing is. And Michael Keaton really does chew the scenery with this. He is obviously enjoying himself immensely, just throwing everything at this role and seeing what sticks. And I think that's Toby Marshall driving the chariot of the gods. I believe he knows just how bad the role is and just how bad the movie was and decided that if he wasn't going to get any critical acclaim for being in this, he was certainly going to make sure he had a good time. I guess the real stars of the show are the cars themselves. If you are the type who salivates over chrome and the roar of the engine there are so much roars of engines then you are going to have a good time from some of this for everybody else who's after a dumb action movie well there's action and it's dumb but it is not dumb enough it's not so bad that you can have a great laugh about it afterwards and and reminisce about these awfully ridiculous moments that become entertaining purely by how bad they are. It's just a plain, dumb, bad movie. So, did we have the need for speed? No. No, we didn't. I actually propose an alternative title for this movie in honour of Aaron Paul and in memoriam for his fine performances of the past. I think this movie should be renamed Breaking Bad. That's break as in car breaks, because, you know, they don't break very much. It's bad. He was in breaking bad. Okay. Just don't bother seeing this movie, okay? It is really, 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 really bad. What's all this behind the wheel? Welcome to our new segment, Redeeming Features. Now, this is a working title because I've been racking my brain and I haven't been able to think of a better name for it just yet. So what is this section about? Well, simply, we are going to look at some infamously bad movies and really work out if there are any redeeming features. This will be in no way a full-on review or critique of these movies because, let's face it, 
the movies that we're going to cover here are already pretty well covered all over the internet. So let's get the ball rolling with our first ever Redeeming Features. one bad video game to movie uh, review so far today, I thought we'd follow through with that theme. The first movie we're looking at for our redeeming feature section is the infamous Super Mario Brothers movie from 1993. Where are we? I got a feeling we're not in Brooklyn no more. I guess one of the difficulties of adapting the Super Mario Brothers game to the big screen is that at its core, it is about a guy running to the right and occasionally jumping on turtles. And in a way, you do need to admire the, the filmmaker's enthusiasm in trying to bring this to the big screen, even though the ham-fisted attempt to actually put in references from the game into the movie often turned out to be, well, just plain wrong. But enough of that. Let's move on and find out if there are any redeeming features from the Super Mario Brothers movie. Number five. You can't help but smile when the movie starts up using the actual theme from the Super Mario Brothers game. It's a lovely start. If the rest of the movie followed that nostalgia trip, then it certainly probably would have been better for it. Number four. When adapting a movie based on the Mario character, it could have been worse. Think about it, can you imagine Donkey Kong the movie, done in 1993? Number three. Where else are you going to see such acclaimed actors, such as Dennis Hopper, Bob Hoskins, and John Leguizama, in such astonishingly bad roles? Get me the rock! Come and get it, lizard breath! Number two. Since it is extremely unlikely that Hollywood will go back for another attempt at making this movie, it remains unique to this day. And the number one redeeming feature? Super Mario Brothers provides an excellent template of how not to do a video game to movie adaptation. Later, alligator. As a bonus redeeming feature, if there's one thing this movie does even 20 years down the track is inspire further fan dedication. When I mentioned on Twitter that I was watching the Super Mario Brothers movie, I was contacted by some very talented individuals who are currently working on a comic book sequel to the original movie. Super Mario Brothers finished off with a definite hook indicating that more story was on the way, but surprisingly... Given its poor performance, that never happened. I checked out the webpage for Super Mario Bros. 2, and i got to say, it looks pretty impressive. From the artwork and the information available, it's shaping up to be an improvement on the original. If you want to check it out for yourself, head to smbthecomic, all one word, smbthecomic.com, and check out these guys' work for yourselves. I'm certainly bookmarked it. I'm going to be keeping an eye on it because this is something I really, really want to read. And if I haven't warned you off, they've also mentioned that the movie itself is getting a Blu-ray re-release later this year. So you can watch 
all your favourite Super Mario Brothers action in high definition. Lovely. Local Wildlife Now it's time to look at a few things that are coming our way in the next few weeks. And first up, we'll let Christian talk about a couple of very special nights arriving very, very soon. These are for you. Thanks, honey. They're beautiful. Hello, hello. It's Christian Fletcher here, and it's that time of the year. It's time for The Room. Now, in 2010, when I was working at Tribal Theatre, I was I discovered this, um, this cult movie called The Room, which was screening as part of the International Film Festival. I suppose the best thing to say what I stumbled into was uh, Rocky Horror for the New Generation. You know, those who don't want to necessarily don the fishnets and, and um, dance around to these 70s tunes. The Room is many ways um, served as the as the version for the younger generation. Now, 2003, the um, the very strange director, producer, uh, writer, star, uh, Tommy Wiseau, um, created The Room, which um, bubbled a little bit under the surface for a while and then eventually um, became a, a midnight and cult movie hit a few years later. It uh, managed to reach Brisbane around 2009, 2010, and um, since then screenings have been going strong. I treat you like a princess and you stab me in the back. Since encountering the film back when I saw this this fated um, screening back in 2010, I've been um, I've been since screening the film at venues around Brisbane. And this Tuesday night, you get to see the film in a cinema on the big screen, which is the ultimate way to experience it. Bring your spoons, toss your footballs around, and be prepared to be stunned by this um, this strange quirk of modern cinema. The room is set in San Francisco and follows Johnny and his fiancee Lisa, who live together in a room. And it also involves Lisa's carryings on behind Johnny's back with her, with his best friend, Mark. We can't do this anymore. Johnny's my best friend. This will be our secret. Don't worry. You can trust me. And um, the bizarre love triangle that kind of um, continues from there. It, um, Tommy Wiseau it's, <laughs> it has claimed that he made this film as, you know, an intentional, bold and beautiful-esque drama. However, people now attend these screenings and roll around laughing at the dialogue, the the, the bad focusing, the, the fact that we change from day to night, from San Francisco to another town almost immediately throughout the film. And um, so as a result, Tommy has now seen how these film these screenings have gone and now is saying, no, it was intended to be this black comedy. So it's very hard to tell. It's um, His um, background is very... Um, enigmatic as well. So it kind of lends itself perfectly to this bizarre, strange movie that has managed to become this uh, modern cult phenomenon. Um, definitely come along to the screening at the Chanel on Tuesday, the 1st of April. And no, it's not an April Fool's Day joke because um, the audience throws plastic spoons. Why plastic spoons, you may ask? There is strange artwork seen in Johnny and Lisa's room, which is pretty much framed plastic cutlery, spoons and all sorts of things. So whenever this happens, the audience th- yells out, spoon! And next thing, they're um, hurled through the air at a million miles an hour. So people get really quite into it. It's the same as people going to a Rocky Horror screening and throwing their rice and, and snapping their rubber gloves. And um, so definitely to be in the thick of it and to experience the movie like this, you'll see, well, A, it has to be experienced this way because sitting through it on its own is quite tedious. But definitely, as I say, with most of these cult films, they have to, they have to be experienced with an audience to, for you to understand and appreciate their full appeal. I'm your future husband. You sure about that? Please talk to me, please. 
So definitely get along to the Chanel Theatre at UQ on Tuesday, the 1st of April at 7pm for a screening of Tommy Wiseau's The Room. For more information, you can visit my website, which is www.christianfletcher.com. And I think Brisbane The Room screenings on Facebook is worth a try as well. You are tearing me apart, Lisa! I'm really excited to announce on Thursday the 17th of April we will be running the 30th anniversary screening of Ghostbusters. Quite fitting with the sad passing of Harold Ramis recently, this screen will be um, in tribute to this wonderful man who was who played such a, a great role in the film and was very instrumental in a lot of the 80s and 90s cult classics that then um, continued. Um, it's really interesting, the news has come out in the last few days that they are actually going to embark on Ghostbusters 3. Dan Aykroyd has been keen on Ghostbusters 3 for a while now, however Bill Murray has refused to read a script and there's even thoughts that he may not even be involved, which is fair enough. He has now moved on to more serious and more almost Academy Award nominated performances, so he feels that um, going back to his role in Ghostbusters is almost, so, you know, he's done it twice, he did it in the first movie, he did it with the 1989 sequel, so it, it's only fair enough that he doesn't want to be involved. And they are, you know, they're also saying, you know, the, the chance of Sigourney Weaver and, and Rick Moranis is also up in the air as well. But I still think it's got that built-in audience. And uh, whilst it's quick to to despise remakes and sequels in this day and age, one thing you've got to realise is it, it, it makes money. And with um, cinema going the way it is, it, it works well to go with a known franchise and a known name. So it's it seems to me only fitting that they um, are going to do a number three. And it's interesting that it's taken 25 years for a, 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 um, a second sequel to surface. So I'd be interested to see how it is. A lot of fans have um, said, oh, I don't know if we want this to happen. But sorry, guys, it's probably inevitable. So come along to revisit the original 1984 cult classic when we screen it at the Chanel Theatre at UQ on Thursday the 17th of April at 7pm. We'll have special guests from the Queensland Ghostbusters franchise. Now these guys are great fun. And hey, they may bring a stay puffed man or two. So look forward to seeing you there. Some other big events coming our way include the Brisbane Queer Film Festival, which is this weekend. However, if you don't already have your tickets, you may be a bit late for some of the more popular events there. And if you can't make it to the fantastic interactive screening of Repo on April 6th at Chanel Cinema, you could always try a bit of a Hawaiian cabaret, the Go Blue Hawaii Cabaret Burlesque Fundraiser, which is happening at The Loft at West End in Brisbane. On April 9th, at the Lock and Load Bistro at West End, there is also a very special screening of the Sex Pistols' Great Rock and Roll Swindle. If you've never seen it, trust me, it's uh, it's certainly an interesting watch. And finally, don't forget that the Village People's Can't Stop the Music is getting a very special screening at the Redcliffe Entertainment Centre on the 24th of April, and all proceeds will be going to Variety Queensland. Another very special thing about this one is it may feature a couple of podcast hosts you may be familiar with. And with any luck, we may just have something a little special relating to that in the next podcast, so stay tuned for that one. Now don't forget, if you have an upcoming event you'd like to have mentioned in our local wildlife section, just drop us a line, whether you follow us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or on the Podomatic page, just Pop something in the comments or send us a message and we'll be happy to mention your events on the next podcast. Our competition from last podcast has been extended. Now I do know we had quite a few listens out there, so if you are returning, you still have a chance. 
Seriously, we're trying to give you some very, very cool stuff here. First up is an indie game pack, including the classic games Cave Story Plus, World of Goo, Anomaly, Osmos, and Edge. Now, these are all going to be redeemable via Steam Key, so we can email them to you. It's super duper easy. To win that, all you've got to do is leave a comment in the Twitter feed, on YouTube, on Facebook, or within the Podomatic comments, just saying game. That's all you need to do, and we're happy to track you down if you are the winner. Not so keen on the games? Then don't forget we also have a double pass to the 30th anniversary screening of Ghostbusters at the Chanel Cinema on the 17th of April. And that is very simple to win again. Simply leave a comment with the word Ghostbusters in it. And again, we will happily let you know when you win and make sure we get that double pass to you in plenty of time. So simple. We won't spam you. We won't do anything like that. We simply want to give you stuff. So if you are keen, please enter. And that wraps up this episode of the podcast. I certainly hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to check out the description below for all your links to the wonderful things that we have been talking about. And also check out our YouTube channel, if you're not already there, to see the bonus material. So things like the trailers or other information or other videos that relate to the stuff we've talked about in this episode. And we definitely want to hear your feedback. So hit us up on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, or Podomatic, depending on your choice of social media, and let us know what you think we could do better. Let us know if you think we've done a good job, and definitely let us know if you have any ideas or anything that you would like us to talk about in future podcasts. We definitely want to hear your ideas. We certainly have our own nefarious plans on uh, on what to subject you to coming up, but the more ideas we get, the easier this is for us to do. If you somehow stumbled across this podcast at random, just search for the Rufus Project Podomatic or the Rufus Project Podcast and you should find something that'll direct you through to all our various contact methods. And definitely, if you do enjoy the show, please tell your friends, please share it around because really the more people that get to listen to this, the better. We'll have the next episode for you in a fortnight's time. And once again, I can't think of a suitable witty end to this, so feel free to add your own. See you next time.